always wondered why some churches are successful and others are not, why some pastors are able to send their congregations away inspired and hopeful when others seem unable to have that effect. Many intellectuals have been less than charitable toward popularizers of religion such as Norman Vincent Peale, criticizing them for being blindly optimistic, ignoring the presence of tragedy and suffering in the world. But the longer I have sat in my counseling room and listened to people tell how they're in over their heads and sometimes feel as if they're going down for the third time, the more I've realized that no one can ignore tragedy even when they try and that everyone needs some place to go once a week where they are picked up given the long view and strengthened with renewed hope. So when I was in New York one cold December Sunday last year, I decided to go to Marble Collegiate Church and sample a sermon by the father of possibility thinking, Dr. Peel himself. People had been standing in the rain on Fifth Avenue for more than an hour to be sure of getting a seat, but no one seemed to mind. Once inside, we sang the old hymns with gusto and listened to the other ministers read from the Bible. Then, when it was time for the sermon, Dr. Peel walked slowly to the pulpit. He was 86, had been presiding there for 51 years, and the years seemed to tell. I thought to myself, why doesn't he retire? But when he reached the side of the pulpit, leaned his elbow on its stop, and began to speak, I saw why his congregation wouldn't allow him to retire. It was as if someone had turned on a switch. He pulled himself erect, his eyes came alive, and out came a powerful sermon about worry and the spiritual principles which he can help us deal with doubt. Story after story rolled out about people who had overcome their handicaps with God's help. When it was over and we filed out, all of us seemed to walk with our shoulders back and our heads held a little higher. Later. I told Peel how touched I had been by his sermon and how I admired his technique of piling up success stories to make a point. He brushed my compliments aside with the demurrer that he did a little more than ramble in his sermons nowadays. But then he paused a moment as he pondered the question of the stories. Well, he said, people used to criticize me for telling so many positive anecdotes. Come to think of it. I haven't been attacked for that in a long time. Maybe I'm slipping, he said with a twinkle. But I try to use biographies of great people in my preaching because nothing in the Bible says you're supposed to rehearse failure. And the best way I know to motivate people is to show them how other men and women just like them with similar problems to theirs have been overcomers. What we have been discussing in this chapter is far more than a mere modeling. What we are after is an atmosphere of enthusiasm and hope, and that can be communicated best with stories of people. David Kolb, professor of management at Case Western Reserve University, summarizes it this way. If I see people around me succeeding, it will stimulate my desire to succeed. In the chapter that follows, we will offer some specific suggestions on helping people move from small successes to even larger ones.